My name is Corey. Um, I know a lot of you, maybe not all of you. Um, I'm really nervous. So if I stutter and stuff like that, it's weird I can play drums, but I guess it's because I can hide behind them that when I do this stuff, it makes me really nervous. Um, the last couple sermons over God's house and, and even a couple weeks ago of Clay's testimony and uh, Wendy's, <clears throat> it really um, stirred up something in me about where I've been over the last several years and kind of my testimony of not really having a blueprint for what it is to really shepherd my family, to really have a role model that really said, okay, this is how you lead your family in discussion about the word and, and stuff like that. And on a Wednesday um, in our old sanctuary, Scott was, teach, was teaching on obedience. And one of the things he said was that half obedience is still not obedience. It's not worship. And I tried, you know, here and there to kind of lead my family and, and do stuff here and there, but it was just not, it wasn't really intentional. And, and over the last several years, um, I've really rested in the fact that of that obedience and, and what that meant for my family. And as, as that started playing out and as I was lifting my family up and my wife up, of how we could lead our family in, in the way that God wants us to. He heard my cry. As a result of that, because of God's goodness and in, in who he is, his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy, my oldest daughter came to know the Lord and with just an insane hunger for the word. And I was able to baptize her about a, about a year ago. And now we're working through um, memory scriptures and, and they're begging for it. They're, if I try to put them to bed and they don't get that, they're like, hey, hold on a second. We, we didn't do the memory verse. I'm like, okay, it's late, but whatever. And so then we would do it. And it's it's just awesome. Like they're 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 craving it. And now with Josie doing the same thing, like it's not anything to brag on my awesome wife, the teammate that I have, or some weird custodian. If anything, it's to brag on God's faithfulness that He heard my cry. And man, He's good. And if there's anybody here that doesn't have a kid or has a kid, and they're, and they're thinking, man, I just don't have a, a I don't know how to, to lead my family in this way, or, or whatever, don't let that fear hinder your worship or your obedience. God's called you to do that as a husband, and just because you don't have a, a blueprint doesn't mean that he cannot use you. He, he can. He's faithful. He's, if he can use me, he can use you. Don't let that fear hinder your worship or your obedience. God's good, and he's going to be faithful to, to reward those who seek him. He heard my cry, and he continues to answer my cry and my heart's cry for my kids. I'm very, very thankful for a worship team that is full of zeal 
and uses the skill that God's given them to bless the body. We're talking about strength for the warriors this morning, and my goodness, that song was crazy appropriate. I like that y'all didn't know it like three days ago. Oh, this whole thing, we'll just throw together an awesome melody. I'll make my guitar sound like a harpsichord, and uh, we'll make an awesome song out of it. It's pretty good. Um, thank you guys for not looking at those words and saying, oh, maybe someday, but actually being passionate about getting it done today. It was good, appropriate. Turn to Second Chronicles 6. pray together. Lord, we're thankful I'm thankful for time this morning in worship, just as a body, as those who share unity in Christ, that, um, that we have the blessing of coming together and sharing something otherworldly. to each of us be sitting here and you be intimately involved in the details of our lives, guiding us, instructing us, warning us, being patient with us, urging us, admonishing us when we need it. Lord, to be able to hear a testimony of a father who cried out to you and like the many other fathers before him, um, you heard his cries. That's sweet. Lord, I'm thankful uh, that we get to have the Spirit this morning and that as we engage the Word, we don't just do so with empty minds or, or sort of a haphazard, lackadaisical approach, but that we can expect that something will happen and that the Spirit will give us insight and understanding. Lord, it is sweet to be called your people, and I pray that you would help us to understand what that means a little bit more this morning through your Word. Lord, I pray uh, for Steve Lawson over at Grace. Pray for he and Karen. Pray for their marriage, just that they would continue to enjoy you first, to put you first in all things, and then each other next. And uh, I pray that um, their family throughout the week would be enjoying you and worshiping you and engaging the Word together and praying together. I pray for Grace, the, the, the church that you've put together there, the people you've assembled there, and I pray that they would be wholehearted and passionate about living out the Word. I pray that you would continue to grow them, um, both numerically and spiritually, uh, and that you would um, allow them to be a bright light in a community that can certainly use a lot more light. Lord, I pray for uh, our local officials um, here in Greenville. Uh, particularly for Steve Reed. Um, Lord, I, I confess, um, I can't remember a lot of the names of the people we prayed for in the past, and that's the one I remember. And so I just confess that I'll pray for him and, and uh, pray that you would, um, as, as he is a Christian, that you would guide him accordingly, that, uh, that um, his relationship with you would shape the way that he leads. I pray that that would have a trickle-down effect. And that ultimately we would have uh, local officials, uh, men and women, ordained by you, put in the place where they're at, uh, making decisions that are very good uh, for our community. Lord, I pray that um, as we talk about strength this morning, that you would keep us from grumbling. 
Um, throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would grumble a lot, and uh, it would lead them into sin, yet you were there providing and nourishing and strengthening. So I pray for our time. I pray that we would surrender to you. I pray that we would be honest with you this morning, that we would be honest with ourselves this morning, that we would look to you for that which we need, knowing we cannot find it anywhere else. Use me as you see fit, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My throat hurts. I'm not trying to sound like Barry White or be fancy. Bad in the middle of your prayer when you're like, I sound ridiculous. Um, so, let's just point that out so it's not a distraction anymore. Uh, you're in Second Chronicles chapter six. This is part six of a uh, seven-part sermon series uh, titled "A House Dedicated." What we've been focusing on. Ben's preached five sermons, and we focused on Solomon's prayer and the dedication of the temple. Now, that's important for us because the temple is the place where God would dwell with His people. And we today, as the people who are referred to as that temple, or we today as the people who are the place where God dwells, or God's dwelling place, um, through uh, our time in this text, we've learned a lot through Solomon's prayer, and we've learned a lot through, through uh, the Lord's response. Today we're going to be considering Solomon's sixth appeal, which is strength for the warriors. So if you're writing your notes, uh, write strength for the warriors, because that's the title of the sermon. Preceding this uh, were five other appeals for God to hear our prayers, to convict the guilty, to uh, reward the righteous, to help the defeated, to bless the undeserving, and to welcome the foreigner. And this, this morning, we're talking about um, strength for the warriors. You're in for a real treat, because every now and again, uh, the Lord... Um, allows a, a pastor to preach a sermon on something he struggles with greatly, and everybody gets to watch it unfold. And uh, I'm just so happy for y'all that y'all get that uh, this morning. Um, on a serious note, I want you to know that I'm not preaching on strength as someone who has uh, arrived. I've struggled with anxiety all morning. Uh, I'm preaching out of conviction. I'm preaching out of weakness. I'm a man who's learning what it means to boast in your weakness, and frankly, I don't like boasting in my weakness. I hate my weakness. I view my weakness like I view my sin. I want to put it to death. Yet God says, your strength is not enough. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so I want you to know, um, if I sound bold while I'm preaching about strength, it's not a boldness that comes from within. Uh, it's a boldness that comes from the Lord. Uh, he hears the cries of, of his children. And so um, out of conviction and out of weakness, um, we'll stand, and hopefully I'll deliver this as a, as, a, as a man of sincerity. So look at verses 34 and 35 in chapter 6. Remember, this is the sixth appeal, and it's, this is at the dedication of the temple. And the prayer is this. The part of the prayer is this. If your people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. That's our focus this morning. 
Solomon is praying to God about the future wars, wars that Israel would fight. The nation would be fighting wars, and he's praying about those future wars before they get here. And Solomon's desire is clear. Like any good leader, his desire is victory. Victory. So in the details we consider this morning, we're going to be answering at least in part how you define victory as a warrior. Why, why do we need strength? We need strength because we hope for victory. So how are we defining that victory as a warrior? And I, and I would just ask you, just, just as an exercise, right now, ask yourself, how do you define victory? How do you define success? We know there's lots of ways the world defines it. How do you define it? In your mind, if you're battling rightly as a Christian warrior, what are some ways that you can say, well, that's victory? That's success. Actually, think about that. And what I want us to consider this morning is, are those biblical? If they are, proceed, move forward with strength. If not, adjust rightly to what the Word says. The first thing I'd like to consider from verse 34 is who our enemies are. It says, if, they, if your people go out to battle against their enemies. Uh, we live in a culture where sometimes it's not popular to say that you actually have an enemy. You just kind of want to be PC and cool and you know, don't want to you know, stir the pot or ruffle any feathers. Um, if you're a warrior of God, you're, you have enemies. Uh, I want you to know that. Now, how we treat our enemies is very different than how a non-believer treats their enemies, and we'll talk about that more later in the sermon, but it's important for us to know we cannot understand victory without understanding the enemy. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would encounter other nations. They would be moving along. They would encounter other nations that would set themselves against Israel and against God's plans that he was carrying out through the nation of Israel. That's who their enemies were. Often the result was war. Now, I'm not talking metaphorically. And later on in the sermon, when I start talking about our battle and our war and our context, I'm still not talking symbolically and metaphorically. I'm talking actually. They would go to battle. Real, live combat. An enemy nation would say to the nation of Israel, I disagree with your ways, I disagree with your principles, I disagree with your plans, and I disagree with your God. Namely, mainly, because it goes against my plans, my principles, my ways, and my gods. That's who their enemies would be that they would engage. Ultimately, this was a disagreement about what the Creator desires and a disagreement about why we are here on planet earth, a disagreement about what to do with your time, what do you do with your resources, and how do you treat other people, whether you know them well or whether they're a stranger. These are the things that would be disagreements, and that's how they would come up against their enemies and say, no, that's not the way we do it. So here's our definition, and I want you to hear it clearly. The enemy is defined as the one who sets themselves against God by setting themselves against God's people and what God is carrying out through his people. So Solomon understands that there are enemies. And understanding who that is is important to understanding victory. As a side note, I feel like we can't say this enough um, because of some of the default modes that we go into as Christians who are sometimes entitled. As a side note, it, it may seem obvious, but I'd like to point out, we're not each other's enemies. Like I thought maybe we'd go through an exercise this morning where you look at your spouse and say, you're not my enemy. Look at your children. Y'all aren't my little enemies. Look at your friends. You're not my, we're not each other's enemies. There are two people addressed, two groups of people addressed in this prayer. 
your people, God, and their enemies. So the warning is we must be careful not to treat one another as though we're enemies. Fighting against each other and setting ourselves against each other is generally frowned upon in Scripture because it misrepresents the unity that we have in Christ. The next thing to consider in our quest to understand victory is that the battle for for Israel, and and we're focusing on Israel, and, and here in a few minutes we'll make the turn and look at our battle. But the battle, in understanding victory, the battle is won that we are sent out into by God. Look at that prayer. What does it say? If your people go out to battle against their enemies, by whatever way you shall send them. We're sent out into battle by God. So, when it came time to battle as a nation, Israel, if they saw it correctly, and saw it rightly, they would see themselves as sent out into that battle by God. I remember reading one pastor's concerns about where his, where his congregation was. And he was asking, do our people see themselves as sent out into battle? I'd pose the same question here. Do you guys see yourselves as sent out into battle? If you look back on your week and the way you lived this week, would it, would it be indicative of a person who is in a battle, a fight of faith, or not? His question as a pastor was, do our people see themselves as sent out into battle? And what he did, and this was in 1984 was when this was written, he was describing it as a difference between having a peacetime mentality and a wartime mentality. Some of y'all may have read John Piper more recently, wrote on some of these things. But that was how he described it in 1984. Do, Do our people see themselves as sent out into battle, therefore they have a wartime mentality? Or do our people see themselves as cush, chill? Not sent out into battle, therefore they have a peacetime mentality. And, and it, the uh, concern was phrased like this. I'm coming to see, I want you to hear this from the heart of a pastor who desires his people to obey God and glorify him in everything. And he said this, I'm coming to see the peacetime mentality that dominates our church and our conference as a tactical victory of Satan. The result of a kind of nerve gas from Satan's arsenal of chemical weaponry that gives the soldiers of Christ a kind of stupor in some and religious euphoria in others and eventually puts them to sleep at the gates of the enemy and makes them utterly oblivious to the cries of the POWs behind the wall. He goes on to say, and this is very convicting, Satan is satisfied with all of our religious activity as long as it does not move us to break down those gates to rescue the perishing. That's convicting. Do Our question this morning we have to ask is, do we see ourselves as sent out into battle by God? Do we have a wartime mentality or do we have a peacetime mentality? Turn to Ephesians 6 with me. Ephesians 6. We're not turning to a whole lot of scriptures this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. So this is where we're going to transition our context a little bit. While the nation of Israel would engage in actual battlefield combat with other nations, like go fight them, our enemy in our battle is defined a little bit differently in the New Testament. It's, it's not, we're not moving into the symbolic phase of things. I want to make that very clear. We're moving into what our actual battle is. I'm not transitioning from actual combat to metaphorical combat. No, no, no. Don't be mistaken. We're just changing contexts. And what I want us to see as we engage these verses is that the imagery 
that we learn in 2 Chronicles 6, as we see Israel going out to battle, the imagery is still very, very beneficial for us, but it's best applied to our context. And so our context is found in verses 10 through 20. So I'm going to read them aloud. Read with me. Not out loud. Don't read out loud with me. That would be weird. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. As I'm reading this, I want you to think, okay, so why do I need strength? And the first thing you would engage is schemes of the devil. It goes on to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand. Do you hear stand over and over and over again? Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the devil, the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When I say sword, you think word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Think about what's repeated in there. Stand, stand, stand. Put your armor on. Put your armor on. Stand. Proclaim boldly. Be bold. Be bold. Proclaim. These are the things that are repeated throughout these verses. The entire book of Ephesians is about your new life in Christ, what it means to be spiritual and to have the Spirit what it means to have unity within the body of Christ, what it means to watch every word that comes out of your mouth, and what it means to be a Christian family. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children are all identified and, 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 spoken, and uh, spoken to in the book of Ephesians. That's what the book's about. And then at the end of that book, we come to this encouragement to be strong. Well, why is there an encouragement to be strong? The answer is obvious, because strength is needed. If I said, be strong, you would say, he must be saying that because strength is needed. So then we ask, well, why is strength needed? And our answer is found in the text. Why is strength needed? And this is where I want us to pay close attention. We lose sight of this sometimes, very easily, I I, I worry. We need strength because there is a very real evil enemy who wants to get in the way of every encouragement that Paul has given to the Ephesian church. It is a battle, and according to verse 11, we need strength because the devil has schemes. That's why you need strength. We need strength because the devil has schemes. What one pastor referred to as deceitful and diabolical schemes of those teaching false doctrine. That's one of the things that's identified there in Ephesians 6, a false doctrine. That's one of the schemes of the devil. So I want you to think, these schemes are to be stood up against by Christian warriors. These schemes are, I mean, at this point, like, 
I'm rethinking my wardrobe for today. Okay, do I have your attention? Like, I thought about wearing a kilt and doing one side of the face blue, like full-on Braveheart, because it feels odd to be preaching this in, in plaid or whatever this is. Because this is, that we're talking about real battle here. We're talking about setting ourselves, standing firm, resisting the enemy. And it, it, so much of our lives are so ridiculously cushy, and we're so given to being discontent and whining about petty junk that when someone starts talking about, yeah, battle, it's like, yeah, cool. And we don't even process what in the world we're actually talking about, what God has called us to as Christian warriors. I almost feel insincere saying, Christian warriors, this is what we do. This is how we move. Because our culture is so not like that in our Christian culture, maybe especially so in our context. Wardrobe change was not in my notes. Where am I? There's a very real enemy. The schemes that we stand up against. False doctrine is one of the obvious schemes. And we're called to stand up against that. Schemes and doctrines that speak against God's design for family. Do you see how this begins to work actually? Schemes and doctrines that speak against God's design for family or that speak against God's design for the way we're supposed to talk. Schemes and doctrines that are false that speak against God's design for unity in the body and what that means that we have that as a gift in Christ. That speak against what true spirituality is. Schemes and doctrines that speak against how we are to treat people, whether we know them well or whether they are a stranger, whether they are a friend or whether they are an enemy. Our God has something to say about that. And anyone who goes against what our God says, that's, that's enemy. And we engage them in a particular way, which we'll get to in a minute. Paul goes on to explain armor. This may seem obvious, but armor is not worn by someone who isn't in battle. Imagine you're at the park with your dog. You're sitting on the bench. Someone comes in in full medieval armor and sits next to you. You're going to look at them odd. What, what, what's the deal? Where's the fight? Armor is worn by someone who is in battle. Particularly, it's worn by someone who understands the battle and is preparing accordingly. You don't get out in the middle of the battle and then you're like, oh, dang, armor. Ugh. You prepare accordingly because you understand what you are being sent out into. That's what armor is. I'm fearful that some of us may have forgotten that we're called to stand firm. Just ask yourself, have we laid down our swords, which are our Bibles? Do we cower at the thought of evil? We mistake ourselves if we think that standing firm means standing in the shadows or hunkering down behind locked doors. We mistake ourselves if we think that a situation that calls for a shield is just too dangerous of a situation to be in. Imagine I send, send someone out to go prayer walk. Here, take this shield with you. You'd be like, oh, 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 oh where are we going? What are we doing? We are wrong if we think that a situation that calls for a shield is just too dangerous of a situation to be in. Helmets are for those who take risks for the right reasons. The first time I went snow skiing, years ago, I go into the rental place, I'm getting my skis, the guy says, do you need a helmet? And I hope not. 
nope, not. And then he kind of pressed me. He was like, no, we, we really would suggest you get a helmet. I'm like, look, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not planning on getting that crazy. I don't intend to take the kind of risks on these skis that would necessitate a helmet. You see the, 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 com, the, the link with risk and armor? I want us to consider our view of risk. Risk-taking in light of our definition of victory. Have any of y'all found that life can be really hard and cruel? Has anyone found that? Anyone seen that? I have. I mean, when we look at who we're called to walk with, we can see things that are just heartbreaking. And the more you see, the more you can get to that way of thinking where you're like, let's just minimize the risk. What I mean is this. There is real heartache in walking with oppressed, hurt, struggling, orphaned people. <coughs> it's a battle, and the world can be really, really cruel. <coughs> Who watches the news and gets encouraged? Anybody? My wife and I noted that we don't remember the last time that we watched the news and there wasn't a story about someone being shot and killed. It's like every time you turn on the news. There was one last week. The reasons for the violence and the hatred that we see are getting more and more frivolous. There was last week, there was an argument in Dallas over dog poop. Front yard. One neighbor says, I've had enough. Shoots and kills a man and woman who are his neighbor. They had three kids, ranging from age four to age 15. Dog poop. Are you kidding me? Could it be more cruel? more heartless, more ridiculous. We see all kinds of things around us that are not, frankly, encouraging at all. So we can continue to observe these sad things and we can wrongly move into a way of thinking and living where we focus on, uh, think, do you do this? We can move into a way of living where we focus on just minimizing risk for ourselves and for our families. Like, what can I do to just not be a target or a victim or it not have to be filled with heartache or sadness? And we get all focused on, our, on ourselves and maybe our families. And I was talking to uh, Lindsay about this, and we were trying to work through what this means. <coughs> I think Renee said something too. I'll give her her props. Um, but um, we were trying to, like, how would you articulate when we get all inward focused as families and we lose sight of things? And, and what we came up with was we focus on our, our own little battles and we lose sight of the war that's going on around us. We focus on our own little battles, what I'm going to eat, what I'm not going to eat, where I'm going to go, where I'm not going to go, what I'm going to support, what I'm not going to support, uh, what I don't want my kids to see or hear. And, and that's fine. We can make good decisions. But if we can become so focused on our own little inward battles that we lose sight of the war that's going on around us that we're called to with other people, that's a problem. Are there any overprotective parents in here? Okay, a couple honest hand raisers. Well done. And... One that does this? Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an overprotective parent. I struggle with being horribly overprotective. I grew up in a house of boys, um, and God blessed me with two girls right off the bat. And I'm like, oh, cool. If anyone looks at them wrong, they die. It's kind of the way I think. And I'm overprotective. Um, and one of the things that I've realized this last year, if you love your children but you don't really trust God, you'll inevitably fall in love with the world. 
Because if you're not trusting God, you're just going to try to appease what, kind of what the world does to make your children happy or to protect them or to keep them safe. If you love your children but you don't trust God, you'll, you'll also fall in love with the world. So the question I would have for you, whether you have children or not, I mean, just, just in general, are you more fearful of the future because of the way that the world is? Or are you more hopeful for the future because of the way that Christ is? Ask yourself that question. Seriously, I, I, I have hit deep conviction this week with that question. Are you more fearful of the future because of the way the world is? Or are you more hopeful of the future because of the way Christ is? The reason I ask is that warriors are called to go out against their enemies. Remember the prayer, 2 Chronicles 6, if your people go out to battle. Warriors are to go out against their enemies. We don't just sit at home guarding our families, hoping that the enemy never visits. The enemy would have no reason to visit you (laughs) if that was your M.O., We don't just sit at home guarding our families, hoping that the enemy never visits. Rather, we suit up, we go to battle, and we stand firm as we fight. I'm not saying it's a sin to try to minimize some risk in your life. Don't be like leaving this sermon saying, yeah, he just says we're supposed to be ridiculous and and, haphazard and make stupid decisions. No, no, no. It's not a sin to try to minimize some risk in your life. But I want to be very clear, and I, I believe the Scripture says it is a sin to refuse risk as a warrior of God. He calls you to something, do it. It's a sin to refuse risk as a warrior of God. Solomon's prayer should be our prayer. Turn back to 2 Chronicles 6. So victory happens only after we go out into battle. You can't ever claim victory if you never went out into battle. And it only happens knowing that we're sent by God into that battle, and it only happens when we understand our enemy. The other notable detail in verse 34 is the phrase, if your people, did anyone see that in the first reading? If your people go out to battle. This is yet another reminder that we have been sent out as a people. We've been sent out as a people. It doesn't say if a person goes to fight, give them strength. Now, can God strengthen individuals as he sees fit given the circumstances and he knows what we need? Of course he can. But that individual that he's given strength to, their identity is as a part of a people who he has called as his own. So there's a reminder here, just in this little verse. Again, we are called to battle as a people. God sends us out as a people, standing firm together, holding one another accountable, asking hard questions of one another, rejoicing with each other, weeping with each other, and making sure we don't stop fighting. Faith is a fight. And if you are a person who is inclined to go it alone or figure out your own way to do it, I would warn you, I would warn you that the devil's schemes and the cosmic powers of darkness are no joke. And if you think you can go it alone, I promise you, you will undoubtedly be unable to stand on your own. If you're a Christian, you are called to be a part of a people. We are called to the battle as a people, not as individuals. I also want you to consider the phrasing, if they go out to battle and they pray. Y'all see that? If they go out to battle and they pray. If you are fighting without praying, you may just be a violent person. 
If you're fighting without praying, there's no way that your motives are pure. If you're known as just a battler and a fighter and you go, but you're not known as one who prays, you, you may be um, uh, foolish, uh, dangerous, not trustworthy. Praying and fighting go together. That may sound weird to you. <laughs> fighting and praying go together. Write it in your notes. Pray about it. Fight through it. I'm not addressing you as individuals. I want you all to hear that. Fighting and praying go together, and I'm not addressing you as individuals. I'm addressing you as a people. Prayer is how the warriors keep from doubting the Lord's goodness. Prayer is how the warriors keep from leaning on their own understanding. I struggle with that. I struggle with that horribly. Where I think I get something, and I just want to lean on my own understanding. Well, I don't need to pray about that. I got that. Ha, the Lord says oftentimes. Prayer is how the warriors keep from mistakenly defining their own agenda. If there's no one to check your agenda on how you're moving, that's a problem. The warrior's success and victory depends on their prayers toward the one who sent them into the battle. The text says particularly to pray toward the city that God has chosen and the house that God has built for his name. I believe the implications here are huge. We are God's house. Remember our text from Ephesians 6 says to put on the armor of God, to go out into battle, praying at all times in the Spirit. This means that we are always in a battle, we are always wearing the armor of God, and we're always to be praying. And this is where I want you to check yourself. Because remember that, that scenario I explained earlier, where you're so focused on your own little battles that you lose sight of the war that's going on around you that you're called to as a people? That will show up in your prayers. Your prayers will become inward focused, and you'll pray only for the small circle that you have tried to contain yourself in. Maybe your spouse, maybe your children. Hey, praying for your spouse and your children. Some of us need to start there, maybe. Like, let's start there. But if you're, you're so concerned about the things going on outside, but you're just focused here, you've lost sight of what you're actually called to pray for, who you're called to pray for, toward the house of God. Our prayers are not just for ourselves, but they're for a people. Prayers are directed toward God and his house. And if I pray to God and fail to mention the other people who I'm called to battle with, it's possible that I become a dangerous warrior who can't be trusted because I don't see myself as a member of a team. I, I went over the sermon last night and I went home and I was horribly convicted about this. So I sat and I prayed for a while for the staff and for some other leadership of the church just saying, man, I, I don't pray enough for those that I'm battling with. I prayed a lot about my sermon this week. <laughs> But did I pray for those that I'm battling with who are going to be walking with people in this, this text, in this sermon? And I had to go do that last night so that I could stand here with some sincerity and not just be a fake. It's convicting. My interest should be God's interest, and he has called a people for his own name, and I'm not to look only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we're not only called to battle as a people, but we're called to battle as a praying people. Everyone prays. Victory cannot be achieved by prayerless battling. You hear that? Victory cannot be achieved by prayerless battling. We have a phrase in our Christian culture, prayer warriors. Y'all heard that phrase? Think of people like Danae Holt, Abiola Jaboye, um, Karen Bench, my sixth grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Woods. Very serious about praying. 
The problem is, all warriors are called to be prayer warriors. Can we please be done with that phrase? Oh, they're a real prayer warrior. Well, so should you be. You should be one. So should everybody. There's no such thing as a prayerless warrior of God. Everyone's called to be prayer warriors. There's no such thing as a warrior who doesn't pray, particularly at all times in the spirit. So just make sure we're all on the same page right now. Just, just a real brief, like, let's get all on the same page. There is no armorless, prayerless, risk-free warrior of God. It's not a real thing. Prayerlessness is often a first step toward refusing to take risk for God. Hear that for what it is. Prayerlessness is often one of those first steps toward refusing to take risk for God. By design, our Godward perspective and our continual awareness of God's presence, that's what is supposed to shape our view of the world. We are moving along. We are Godward. We are praying to God. We're going to God. Petitions, thankfulness, supplications. We are in constant conversation, praying in the Spirit to God, continually aware of his presence. And then when we bring our eyes down to this battle we're in, we have a right view of the world around us. But if we see the cruelty of the world and the heartache and the hurt and the abandonment and the suffering, and we allow that to be what shapes our view of God, we're getting things backwards. That's when risk seems too risky. Risk? You want me to take a risk? Have you seen what's going on out there? You want me to do what? Have you been to that side of town? You want me to go where? Have you been to that country? They're on the news all the time. You want me to go, what? You want to talk to who? Do you know what they did the last person who talked to them? That's not how it's supposed to be. Risk isn't supposed to seem too risky. But prayerlessness is an indicator that we're moving in that direction. We ask questions like, would that have really happened if God was truly sovereign? When we see the big catastrophes, we, we, we hear questions like that. Would that child have died if God was really loving and a good shepherd? Would this catastrophe have really taken place if God was really in control? Does God really have my best interests in mind? Can I really trust him? Those are the kind of questions that creep up when we're letting our view of the world shape our view of God. I want to encourage you this morning. God is only good. He loves us with a love that is lacking in no way whatsoever. We could all, later today, have the worst things happen to us. God is only good. He loves us with a love that cannot be improved upon. His love is lacking in no way at all, and I want us to remember that this world is not our home, merely a temporary tent and a breath and light of eternity. Do not make the mistake of prayerlessly laying down your sword Forgetting you're in a battle and focusing on the cruelty of the world and mistakenly concluding that your God must also be cruel. God is not cruel. God is only good. The final point this morning in considering how we define victory is what it says in that last verse, verse 35, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea <coughs> and maintain their cause. 
our cause. Why are we fighting in the first place? This is when Christians have the potential to look the most ridiculous. This is when Christians have the potential to look the most ridiculous. We're all yelling. We're all excited. We're all here. What are we doing? What's our cause? What's the purpose? Just to be loud? To be obnoxious? To tell people how bad they are? No, no. Our cause is defined by our God. Why are we fighting? Solomon's prayers to God for praying warriors to be given strength for victory so that their cause is maintained. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5.20. Our cause, why do we go to battle as praying warriors? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, I believe makes it very, very clear. I'm hoping that no one sees this as like, well, what does that mean? How mysterious is it? I hope you see this. And you're like, oh, oh, that's clear. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we're at, remember, what's our cause? We're hoping our cause is maintained. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's your cause. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors for Christ. God is making an appeal through us. That's why we're here on planet earth, to give him glory, to do what he says, and he's making an appeal <coughs> through a people. So to put it as simply as we can, our cause is God's appeal. And according to this verse, our cause is this. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's your cause. Why are you battling? Why are you out there standing firm? Why are you putting on the armor? Why are you praying? Why are you going to God for strength? Because you have a cause. And your cause is on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our battle cry. That's our battle cry. Those are the words that haunt our enemy. The enemy doesn't want anyone to be reconciled to God. But that's our battle cry. Those are the words that haunt our enemy. When we come up against those who are being deceived by an unloving leader, <laughs> or as it says in 1 Corinthians 2, those who have been outwitted by Satan because they don't understand his design, outwitted by Satan because they don't understand his design, when we come up against those who are teaching false doctrine and setting themselves against God's design for family, and speech, and how we treat other people, and what we do with our time and resources. When we come up against the schemes, the people who are, are sharing schemes that are against the message that God has been given to us, our goal is not to run them through with a sword of steel, but rather to win them over with the sword of the Spirit. Turn to 1 Peter 3. Our goal is not to run them through with the sword of, the, of steel, but rather our aim and our hope is to win them over with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now you may be thinking, at this point, you may be thinking, Scott, you sound a little naive, so all I have to do is hope that I'll win them over by sharing the Word with them and they're all going to be won over? That's our goal? That's what we're doing? Well, let's read 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. <coughs> when we go out to battle, this informs us. 
Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? <laughs> Can we answer that question before we move on? Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Like most of the world's population, a big chunk of angry people, who is there to harm you? That would be the answer if we don't read this in light of what the Spirit's doing and what Christ has done on the cross. Now let's read it in its right context. Who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But listen to what we're supposed to do. In your hearts regard Christ. In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. One of the signs that a warrior is not moving rightly in prayer is that gentleness and respect go by the wayside and they just rip your face off or use the word in a wrong way. Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. Your conscience matters in battle. So that when you are slandered, not if you are slandered, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The warrior's defense, which they are to be prepared to give, is to wield the sword of the word with gentleness and with respect. Don't be a jerk with this. You wield it with gentleness and respect. You can be firm. You're supposed to stand firm. You're supposed to be bold. You're supposed to proclaim it no matter what the person may think about it. But you do it with gentleness and respect. That's what a warrior does. Wield the sword of the word with gentleness and respect. In doing so, two things will potentially happen. You will either win your enemy over, the person who is sitting there saying, um, I'm, I'm going to say false doctrine to you and set myself against what you think about family and words and life and resources and how we treat people, and you say, oh, well, have you considered this, and you share something from the word, you may win them over. That's what we're hoping for, is it not? Are we, are we sure we still care about winning people over? Or you'll be reviled. Are you encouraged? Are you encouraged? Or, you know, it goes south, and uh, they hate you, and your message, and the way you said it. At this point, you may be thinking, wait, if I'm reviled and slandered, my cause won't be maintained, and I'll be put to shame. If I'm at work, and I speak up and say, this is what the Word says, Let, can we consider that? And everyone's like, that is ridiculous. You may be thinking, at that point, I'm, I'm kind of slandered, and I look ridiculous. My, was my cause really maintained? But these verses reveal the beauty of victory in Christ. Please hear this clearly. Sometimes part of our victory is to suffer for doing good. Sometimes that's when you can claim victory at a point in the battle, if you suffer for doing good. Sometimes part of our victory is to suffer for doing good. I don't generally like suffering. I don't pray, Lord, I pray for some really good suffering today. No, I want to win them over. I want to be gentle, full of gentleness and respect, wielding the sword of the word right. But there's times where God says you'll suffer, and guess what? That's part of the victory. Sometimes part of our victory is to suffer for doing good, but when we're slandered, 
It's those who revile our good behavior in Christ who are put to shame, not us. There is no shame for the one who is in Christ. That's beautiful. Share what you are called to share if you're reviled and slandered. No shame for you. Christ is mighty. And it's those who are put to shame who are reviling your good behavior. I don't want you to turn there. Just listen. Listen. In Luke 21, it's one of those sections of Scripture where you're like, did that really just say that? Luke 21, Jesus is foretelling his followers about wars and persecution um, as those who he is sending out into battle as prayerful warriors. And it says this in verses 16 through 17 in Luke 21. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will die. Some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. It's not much of a pep rally, is it? What's he saying here? He's saying this, because of your faith, and I'm going to say it to y'all, because of your faith, some of you will die. This is being said to those who God sends out into battle. Not everyone will be killed, but some of you will be killed. And again, if you're thinking, how in the world can we claim victory in death? I encourage you to look at the next two verses. Look at verse 18. Or listen, I told you not to look, so just listen. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Some of you will be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. And by enduring, you'll gain your lives. The warrior needs strength that he might endure, and in enduring, he may be put to death for his faith. And in that, he will gain his life. Now, how does this work? Now I want you to turn. This is our last piece of Scripture we're going to look at. Look at Luke 12. This is our last piece of Scripture we'll look at for the morning. When we start talking about sacrifice and risk and injury and even death, fear can start to creep in. Some of y'all might be looking at what I'm reading out of the Bible and going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Some of you may be sitting there and fear may be creeping in, being like, whoa, I'm called the what? Fear can be crippling. That's why God gives us his, his purposes and his plans with clarity in the word, and that's why he gives us the spirit that we can endure in them. But fear can certainly creep in. Will I have to give my life? Am I one of the ones that he just said, you'll be delivered over to death? Will I have to give my life? Will I have to face the violence of the enemy? Will my children have to face violence? Will I have to forfeit some of my comforts or lose them altogether? Look at what it says in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, Luke 12, 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. 
do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Can you imagine if we were warriors with that kind of a mentality? That's boldness exponential. You can kill me. But after that, you got nothing. Like, all you can do is kill me. Imagine if we were warriors that bold, the kind of confidence. You can kill me, but once I'm dead, you have nothing. Killing me is the absolute most you can do to me. And in doing even that, all you've done is bring me closer to the one who loves me perfectly. And you eliminate this pain that's in this world. Killing me is all you got. That's not a threat. This world's not my home, and I don't put my hope in it. That's a bold warrior. I cannot imagine what it would be like to have an army of warriors with that kind of boldness. You can kill me, but that's all. Once I'm dead, you got nothing. And the word will go forward, the cause will be maintained, and my God will triumph over you as he already has. That's boldness. And look at verses five through seven. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's talking about God. As I was going over this last night and reading this, it became very emotional thinking that I, I have to say that to anyone who's sitting in this room who doesn't fear God. If you're sitting here and you don't believe in God, if you're sitting here and you think the whole thing about Jesus is not true, you feel like you can go it alone, you don't need to accept Christ, and you, can, you, can be, you don't need to be called to be a member of a people. If you're in that place, I humbly yet firmly warn you, fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. That should, that should bring you fear. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than the sparrows. So we close with this. The warrior, the warriors are more valuable than the sparrows. And in Christ, every battle that we fight faithfully is a win. Fear God. Fear the one who has authority to cast into hell, but don't doubt his love. The warrior is more valuable than the sparrow. We're going to take the supper, and as we do so, it may seem obvious, but I want us to take the supper. The band, you guys can come on back up. As we take the supper, we're going to do so as a people sent out by God to battle as warriors. And as we pass the elements... I urge you to pray for your fellow warriors. Your circle that you pray within may be very, very small, and you may be inclined during this time to lean forward and just look at people you don't even know and say, they're my fellow warriors, so I'm going I'm to pray for them. I don't even know their name. And then make it a point after the service to go learn their name so you can pray for them by name. But we're going to pray together, praying for our fellow warriors as warriors sent out into battle. I also want you to spend some time considering this. This is important as we take the supper. Spend some time 
considering that it is only because of the death and resurrection of Christ that our cause is eternally maintained. Scriptures say, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Nothing separates us from the love of God, not tribulation, persecution, danger, nakedness, the sword. There is no power strong enough to overcome the will of God. He will carry out his plans. Isaiah says, who are you, O man, to fear, to fear anyone other than God? Because he will carry out his plans. So know that as we take the, the bread and the juice, which represent the body and the blood of Christ, it's only by his body and blood that our cause of going and telling others in Christ, be reconciled to God, our cause is eternally maintained because of Christ. My hope, and as I was praying through the sermon and the preparation, was that, that we would be um, encouraged. I mean, that we would feel like we can go to God for strength and he'll actually grant it. But I don't want us to gain a confidence in the wrong thing. So I'm going to share um, just kind of a conglomeration of verses from Colossians 2 and Ephesians 1. When we're talking about confidence and strength and the desire to take risk for the right reasons, I want us to make sure it's very clearly only in Christ that that exists. If you listen better with your eyes closed, close your eyes. If not, just, just listen. May we have the eyes of our, our, our hearts enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which he's called us. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion. That's where our hope is, in Christ who's above those things. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands." This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And here's what I want us to hear as we battle. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In light of that kind of confidence and that kind of strength, take and eat. Take and drink. As we take time to continue in worship and give, I wanted to read from Romans 13, sort of a, Ben sent this to me this morning, it was very appropriate, sort of a benediction. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off all the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime. Not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Lord, 
I pray that you would allow us as prayerful warriors who see ourselves sent out, that we would do exactly what that verse says, that we would make no provision for the flesh, that we would not get entangled in civilian pursuits, uh, but that we would battle rightly as your children who you have sent out into battle. Lord, as we give, help us to give wholeheartedly. As we worship, help us to do so in spirit and in truth. Guide the rest of our time. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm really bumming I brought a flashlight to walk up here with it under my chin. And I can't find Abby. Did you take it? I'm really sad about that. Get it walking in light? No? All right. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the retreat a little bit. Um, I was thinking while Scott was teaching earlier that... Um, for some women, um, it may seem like a huge risk to uh, sign up and go to the retreat, but don't, don't let it be a risk. I want you to know the hearts of the women at Crosspoint are to walk with you. It's not some uh, weird emotional fest where everyone is crying and boohooing. Jessica Edwards isn't here. She may be doing that, but... But that's not our desire for that. There are emotions because our affections are turned towards Jesus, and you're hearing women's stories of their walk and how great Jesus is. And so if there's a, a tear shed, then so be it, because he is good, just like Corey talked about. He is so good. And this past year has been a war. <laughs> We've been very aware of the war and many battles, uh, like within our family, but not without abundant riches and blessing um, from the people that we've walked with and um, walked through things and has been, it is worth it. So if you may have some aversion to emotion or any type of vulnerability that you do not want to feel that you may think that that might come out at a retreat or some, some type of uh, just anxiety with large groups of women. I know those things. I'm not making light of those things. I know that those things do exist. Um, I just want you to know the heart of those um, women and for this retreat is really just kind of what Scott talked about is equipping the warrior, equipping these women that are sent into so many different scenarios, into their families, into their jobs. If they're single, it's we all are fighting our own battles, but collectively there is a war going on and it's equipping and we need each other to do that. Um, and then um, Psalm 18 talks about you've, you've equipped me with the strength for every battle. So those things about being bold and stand and be strong, stand firm and take fight and take risk and fight, those things are done when we do link arm in arm because um, we can't do it alone. Um, I have walked through a lot of battles with a lot of women in this body, and um, it, it does take a village for sure. Um, February 22nd through 23rd is the retreat. Um, this is the last day to register, so um, please turn in your forms. If you do not have, um, if you are struggling financially, uh, please don't let that be an issue. Um, on your form, this isn't the form, but on the form, write it at the bottom, I would love a scholarship, okay? Um, 
And then also, we, we want to take away any type of situation that would, you know, enable you from going. So if, if you're like a nursing mother or you have a small child or something like that, we do have, like, they have these tiny little apartments that um, are available. So if you would like to come, but you're nursing or, or one of the, you've got a jacked up back and you don't want to sleep on one of those little crummy bunk <laughs> bed things, um, we can, you know, get you situated in one of their little apartments. So also write that on your registration form. The cost is $40, um, and that can all be turned in um, today. Like I said, please don't let money be an issue. Um, today's the last day to register. I think that is it. Do what? Yeah, deposit of 20, but you can turn in the rest at the retreat if you need to. Um, Tiffany and Renee are over there with forms. Um, so please sign up, guys. It's worth the risk of getting to know some of these amazing women that we have in this body. Thank you, Lindsay. Oh, check. There we are. Thank you, Lindsay. A um, couple of other, uh, excuse me, other announcements um, that I, I want to go through. Uh, first one is kind of more of a recounting issue, something to kind of um, share with you guys that you can rejoice in that this body's been a part of. Um, a portion of our uh, uh, offering each month goes to help support the Rafa Clinic. I know we're all familiar with the Rafa Clinic. Recently, the Rafa Clinic and the Knights of Columbus have teamed together in uh, uh, trying to raise $20,000, and, and the Knights of Columbus said they would match that, and it's called the Ultrasound Initiative, and it's just trying to provide some more equipment to the Rafa Clinic, okay? Equipment for the Rafa Clinic. The, the point of here trying to tell you guys about is that we've been able to donate $1,000 towards that 20000 And so I wanted to kind of put that out there to you guys and that even in 2012 that I think, uh, I don't remember the exact number, I think it's a little over 4000 we were able to help contribute and donate to the Rafa Clinic to keep that organization moving forward and helping these women. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of put that out there as just a, a, something to kind of rejoice in that God's using this body to help some, some women there in need, okay? Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about is Wednesday night. And I want to speak to this a little bit personally that Kate and I, I think for probably about two years, member, being a member here of the body, that we didn't actually come on Wednesday nights. And uh, really no main reason. We just kind of stayed home. <laughs> And I wanted to encourage you guys that, that for us, it's been a huge, huge thing for us. It, 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 it's, it's mimicking what we're doing on Sundays, and we're moving through, book, through a book of the Bible, I guess about every two weeks uh, is kind of the, the pace we're rolling with. Right now, we're in Deuteronomy. We started last Wednesday. We'll be there again this Wednesday. I'm telling you guys, it's amazing. Scott, Morris, or some other guys that kind of help teach on Wednesday nights, it's very, very beneficial. And I encourage each one of you as families, if you can come on Wednesday nights, please be a part of it. It's awesome. We've got youth activities, we've got children, nurseries provided, everything's here. Uh, and so you guys, I think it starts at, at six o'clock, one hour, six to seven. Um, and it's just super good to be a part of. So I encourage you guys to come out as families. Also, a, a part of Wednesday nights, what, what uh, Scott's kind of, I think, put in place that he, they've wanted to memorize scripture a verse out of each book of the Bible that we go through, okay? And Kate and I were at home one night, and, and we wanted to teach Harper the, the you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy, out of, out of Leviticus. And uh, Kate said, let's put a song to it. And so we teach our children a lot of stuff via song, alphabet, you know, you name it. it it's usually to music. 
So what we've tried to do is try to provide you families, uh, parents, um, music that you can let your kids listen to that as best as possible is word for word out of the scripture to help them memorize this scripture. And so it's just kind of an added tool to help you, uh, help your children and help you even learn the scripture. Okay. So just a couple little tools. I think they're on the website. Um, do I? YouTube. That's right. There's YouTube. There's some links you can click on on the website to actually go and view, and there will be kind of a visual aid there. You can see the words, and kids can read along or sing along with it, okay? I think that's it. So let's stand. And um, one more thing that I want to say as we're standing that I want to kind of uh, reiterate that I know we kind of say each week, but if you're not a part of a small group, please... Please, there there are small groups on Mondays and Tuesdays, Thursday, Fridays. I think there's there's still one on Sunday. Do we know? Okay, still one on Sunday. If you're not a part of a small group, please um, find a deacon or one of the elders and uh, and try to plug in. And it's super super fruitful, and uh, it's kind of where you can sit and hash out some thoughts or maybe some questions that you have about what was preached, or just rejoice uh, over what was preached, what you heard, what's been what God's been doing in your family. Uh, so I, I, I urge you guys to to also be a part of a small group. Okay, let's pray, and we'll be we'll be closed. Father, we uh, thank you for this morning, uh, some amazing truths revealed to us this morning. God, I pray that we would rejoice in them. Uh, Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.